Hey, John Richards, a cut above horror review podcast. We are talking about Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho from 2021. Just came out like a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to get in a very deep discussion about it. So uh, give it a listen. Make sure you enjoy episode number 21, Last Night in Soho from 2021. It's so groovy, baby. Oh, behave. And it starts right now. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we will be talking about the film Last Night in Soho from this year, 2021. But before we get into it, let's meet everybody else on the show. First up, what's the word, Hydraberg? What's bird's the word? <laughs> uh, I'm super alert and ready to go. There's uh-huh. no way I overslept and I accidentally didn't get on. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You definitely didn't just you know, cut 20 minutes into our show <laughs> with your little nine o'clock nap. But I'm an okay. old man. Okay. I need okay. an 830 uh nap before my <laughs> nine o'clock reach around. That's what, you gotta rest up for the reach around. <laughs> and next up, what's going on, John? How you doing? Uh yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm an old guy. I like to watch Matlock and Murder Shoe Road. Mm. <laughs> I love Golden Girls too. Oh yeah. Uh, I can relate. Blanche, my girl. Mm-hmm. My girl. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm a Sophia guy myself. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing well. I feel like I'm finally not sick for the first time in like five weeks of recording with you guys. So um, now, I've noticed I'm... on I've noticed on a Sunday that uh mama over here, mother of three, is uh, drinking a wonderful glass of what is that, Cabernet Merlot? It's like a really cheap red blend. I it's not it doesn't even have a name. It's just, it's just like red wine. Good for so, you. Covering some highbrow horror. We need to drink. Oh, yeah. I'm wine, s- you know? super classy. And she's getting <laughs> loose right now. So we're good. I am. John's actually... got his chocolate milks with it, with straws, blowing bubbles into it. <laughs> no more Capri Suns for mom. Mm. Oh, man. I do love a Capri Sun, though. But so do uh, I. I now that I'm those. not now that I'm not pregnant or nursing anymore, I am fully enjoying partaking in some wine these days. <laughs> Well, good for you. You're an awesome mom and keep up the good work. Thank you. Aww. That was sweet. So how's everybody's week been? What's going on with you guys? <sighs> Nothing, but I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I got a lot of thought about these movies that I cannot wait to get or this movie and get into the discussion about it. Me too. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this with you guys. Um, first of all, though, John, do you have any horror news for us to learn about? I do. Uh, speaking of brand new movies, Ghostbusters Afterlife just uh, came out, made $60 million globally, Dang. Um, doing very well at the box office right now. So, um, again, it doesn't intrigue me to go watch it just because I love Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Run from 2016 is okay, but I mean, it's just like, unless you love Paul Rudd, sexiest man alive, you know, go you see do? it, I guess. What's that? I do love him, but not enough to go see that movie. The Ageless Wonder, Paul Rudd. It's incredible. I don't know what kind of Flintstone vitamins he's eating, but um, <laughs> it's it's the right thing. I know. I saw this meme the other day of Paul Rudd at 53 and me at 33. And it was like an old person like with a cane or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's going to outlive us all. 
this one exactly the same. This one intrigues me because I actually enjoyed the first two, not the third one. Uh, Reboot of Blade is expected to release in fall of 2022. Uh, It's in pre-production. I I don't know how to say this guy's name. Marshala Ali? Yeah, Marshala Ali. Marshala Ali. Okay. Um, He's going to take the role of Blade. He's a phenomenal actor. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I you know I was kind of rolling my eyes I'm when we were talking it. about a reboot, but then when you said Mahershala Ali, I was like, well, well this okay. Is, this is actually the first time that Marvel will be in charge MCU, like um, like Blade will be in the Marvel Studios hands, you know, not Fox or whatever it was that he was in. I don't know if you know it, Hydraberg. I mean, is it are they going to keep with the the format of being ultra violent, like the? I'm hoping so. That's what we're expecting keep- as fans, right? Yeah, keeping it R-rated, like Deadpool. Yeah. Hopefully there will be more Rob Zombie songs on the soundtrack. Absolutely. We all love the episode without mentioning Rob Zombie. (laughs) I had to get it in there. Can we just make it a segment already? (laughs) I will happily make it a segment. (laughs) The R&D report brought to you by Deadpool. See who can mention Rob Zombie first in the podcast. Uh, I'll definitely win. Yeah, I know you will. Uh, last one I got, Arrow Video just released a th- uh, 30 minutes of extra footage of the 1985's The Stuff on Blu-ray. Oh, Have you guys sweet. seen that movie? Uh, I've seen been it a one with Joe Bob. Oh, I've never seen it, but I've heard it's absolutely hysterical. It is. It's just campy as shit. I mean, it's yeah. just one of those movies that that don't, don't expect anything. Just yeah. buckle in and enjoy the ride. Yeah, it's about like a fucking well, uh, what's a dessert that takes over? So it's it's like a dessert? I thought it was some just like random goo. No, I it's thought, like a dessert. I thought the cinematography of this. Stuff. I thought the cinematography was really good because it's all bright and it feels like it almost feels like the whole movie's a commercial, yeah. you know. But but it's, it's, like a, blob it's a, tendencies to it. Yeah, it does. But oh. but it, feel, it feels like a fun. It's just a fun kind of ride. Awesome. So when, when does that extended um, release come out, John? It's actually out now. Oh, it's out now. Okay, so yeah. I definitely so need to see like that version. Those are called like the overstuffed edition, or <laughs> it uh, didn't say that extra content. Yeah, it, I guess opportunity if they didn't do that. Arrow actually found the extra footage, I guess, on reel to reel, and just added it to the Blu-ray and just cut it together and made it a pretty little box and whatever they do with physical media because I don't get physical media, so. <laughs> And we all know how Hydraberg feels about it. In case you don't, I like he's physical an- media. He's anti. I am not. Don't don't put words in my mouth. Uh, I, am, I don't know. You seem to ridicule pro- anyone. I have who plenty of DVDs. Anything. I just love messing with the guys that are obsessed with physical media. And I don't like that. You know, like companies kind of prey on those kind of guys. You know, to buy like a twenty dollar DVD for a hundred dollars, or because they make it go out of print all of a sudden, they're like, oh look, it's. It's super valuable. Meanwhile, it's a movie that came out in like the 80s and to us was like trash when it came out. You know what I mean? Hey, well, well, I got to go buy my third version of the stuff. That which too. Yeah. It's like, not, so not a good movie, but it's yeah. fun to watch one time. Maybe they put a new slipcover on it. That's why you got to get the new. <laughs> no, Hyderberg, you, you have a valid point. It, and I'm, I'm just kind of giving you crap about it. But no, you're right. And it's it really sucks when these um, companies put out, you know, 
another version of the same movie that we already own and it's just got like one extra bonus feature on it or something or it's like i get it just a have... little bit different and and so people they kind of force people to feel like they have to acquire yet another copy yeah. of it and i get it like that's capitalism but still it does it does kind of suck and not to digress not to digress and i don't want to sound like a hypocrite but i do own a steelbook version of the original remastered texas chainsaw massacre yeah, on blu-ray sexy looking too that's and it's it's it is a beautiful cover. I get it, and it looks really good. The I other one I own on DVD, which is not as high quality, which is the very first time I've ever seen the movie, was Dario Argento's Suspiria. Oh, nice! Yeah, so I was very I was very proud of buying those. I have three copies of Reservoir Dogs, so like I understand rebuying. Wow! Yeah. So you got DVD, have- Blu-ray, and then like a special edition steelbook that came out a couple of years ago. So I understand. Yeah, I, I do like owning physical media, but I am frugal. So if it's something that I already own on DVD, um, I'm not going to I'm not going to repurchase it. You know, on, <laughs> I, I'm just not. I mean, if the DVD still plays or, you know, unless it gets scratched or I wear it out or something or the only exception to that is I did buy a second copy of Rosemary's Baby when it came out on Criterion Blu-ray. But that's because it's my number one favorite movie. So I felt yeah. I really needed to own that Criterion version. Well, yeah, I, I could see that. It's like the old wrong version. It's classic. Oh man, so good. I am a resolution snob. So when they do come out with a like, you know, DVD came out with Blu-ray. So I did buy Blu-rays of the DVDs and so on, you know, 4K discs. And it's a cycle too, you know, though. So you're gonna end up rebuying your collection over and over again. Right. And that's that's what I didn't want to do. But like the only time I've ever ever bought multiple movies was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I had it on VHS, DVD, and then Blu-ray, and then all cleaned up. And it was all the special features. I was like, oh, yes. That one is worth it. I I, I yeah. totally support you on that. I think that is definitely worth repurchasing for the best, you know, the best possible version that you can get of it for sure. Absolutely. So Jacqueline, um, wow, we watched uh, a movie. <laughs> we sure did. That Edgar was a film. Writes, it's called Edgar, a film. Yeah. Ed, Edgar Wright's brand new movie called uh last night in soho why why did you pick this movie i picked this movie because i was really intrigued by the trailer Uh, i had seen it for the first time several months ago and it was very interesting to my eye and it looked like there was an interesting story going on but from the trailer i couldn't figure out exactly what was going to be going on like it didn't give away too much but it was interesting enough to intrigue me and make me want to watch it so i think that was kind of just the right balance in this trailer um i hate it when trailers give away too much and i hate it when the trailer is so mysterious that you don't even know what kind of movie you're getting and this was really just kind of that goldilocks right in the middle so uh i was very intrigued to go see it i'm finally at a point with my childcare needs that i'm able to actually leave the house by myself and go to a theater to see a movie and so i thought this would be a good inaugural back to theater as a grown up by myself movie. Uh, it seemed like something that I really needed to see on the big screen, and I'm really glad that I did. So I, yeah. I'm I felt the need to seize the opportunity to see this movie in the theater. So I that's what I did, and that's why I picked it. Nice. So so, so should we jump into our segment of does this movie fuck or does this movie suck? Let's decide, shall we? So you, you picked it, kick us off. Oh man. I, 
I think it would be re- really difficult to find any kind of film lover, enjoyer of any sort who would say that this movie sucks. I, th- I just think it is a very well-crafted film. I don't think it's a perfect film, but there is a lot to enjoy here aesthetically. There's a lot to enjoy here storytelling-wise. And I just think it's 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 really a film with a lot to talk about and a lot to enjoy about it. So I think this movie, hands down, fucks. What about you, yeah. Edgerberg? I uh, I agree with you on that point. It's like this movie, uh, this movie fucks on many levels. And not only is it the newest Edgar Wright film, but it's just expertly made. Um, it gave me multiples, and I hope to fuck it again someday. Ah! It fucks. <laughs> All right, a steady fuck for Heidelberg. What about um, you, John? <clears throat> well, I have an interesting story with that. I had I'd probably a really good date. Ooh, nice. Actually, my dad, me and my dad went, he wanted to go see the oh. movie. So, so it was like, hey, we went. <laughs> well, that uh, was a letdown. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> I was expecting something sexy. Nah, nothing like that. Story, Jack. I, I, I'll tell you this is my dad. My dad's not the biggest horror movie fan, but he really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. So, so, so in my opinion, and uh, you know, I want to preface this by saying I moved from Midwest back home to the West coast. Uh, we started this podcast officially in June, so I, I I haven't been the best horror movie fan of watching brand new stuff or watching a lot. Um, but I'm going to say this movie for me, and I don't know how many other brand new movies we're going to be able to watch with the exception of next week. I'm going to say this is the fuck of the year. Whoa. Nice. Bold statement. That's quite a fuck. Yeah, man, that's, that's James, the other fuck. <laughs> I, I, and we can get more into Jacqueline. Like you said, it's not a perfect movie, but to me, this was the fuck of the year. All right. Well, I can't wait to get into more detail about the fuckage of this movie. Uh, John, you want to drop yeah. that spoiler warning so we can spoil the shit out of it? Certainly. Uh, we're going to be talking about Last Night in Soho from 2021. Director Edgar Wright, in its entirety, if you have not seen this movie, like Jacqueline says, we are going to spoil the fuck out of it. Pause the podcast. Go watch it. I think it's on demand now. Definitely in the theaters. See it. Come back to find out what we thought about it. And we go to the Hydraberg Reach Around. What are Plot we calling summary. it? Plot, Plot summary. summary. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Eloise Turner was a young learner. Uncovered a crime. They call it a murder. Of a young lady who wanted fortune and fame, but unsavory men made her play the game. She's got talent and she's got class. To men like this, she's just some ass. Till a young woman in fashion class has waking dreams she wished would pass. Her nightmare state, it comes on fast. The ghostly state of victims past. They speak to her beyond the dead and fill her head with awful dread. So facts and clues she tries to find while others think she's lost her mind. As she tries to solve this case, she unravels a tale of tangled fates. Haunted by these faceless men, her visions seem to never end. As flames and smoke fill the house, Eloise is no longer a mouse. She's grown into a badass mofo and survived her last night in Soho. (laughs) 
that was the bug. perfect rhyming couplet at the end. Right, yeah, Soho with Mofo. Like, how do I get? How do I get Soho in here? I'm like, well, she did turn into a, a pretty badass Mofo. There you go. That was Can probably it- your most admirable rhyme yet, Hydroburn. Thank you. <laughs> Very high class. Have yourself yeah. a cigarette, and a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> can I say something though? Is that I know that horror movies don't get recognized by the Academy Awards, but if Anya Taylor Joy does not get nominated for at least Best Supporting Actress, it's a crime. I can see that. You know, I yeah, I actually think that she might get a little attention for this. I, I almost feel like the Academy might transcend their snobbery against horror she did not her her expressions in this movie and again it was it was the expressions in her eyes and her face that that you know makes that solidifies her as one of the best actresses you'll see in a long long time you know she's she's such an expressive actress rather than you know having to speak dialogue and she did she you know her acting was fantastic but like to me that really what impressed me about her was her expressions. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think she, she really, her performance was really memorable. Like this, this performance of hers will stick with me for a long time. Um, I think it was a, a wise career choice on her part. And I think that she really nailed this character. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you have any trivia on that. And I forgot what movie she passed up to do. I don't know. It was the other actress, the actress T- Taylor Month. McKen- Thomason McKenzie. Yeah, she passed up doing Top Gun. Yes. Top oh, that was part of your trivia. Maverick movie. That's right. That's okay. Right. Sorry. Not not a main trivia point for me, but yeah, um, yeah, it was Thomason McKenzie. I don't. I don't see, I think I've seen enough films this year to know whether or not she would win an award, but a nomination definitely. And I feel like this I, yeah, film I, probably definitely win awards in other categories, though. I was like going to say. I, th- I was going to yeah. say. I think it should be recognized for several different Editing, areas mm-hmm. sound design sound design yeah the soundtrack production design production design yeah definitely. Uh, speaking I, of my dad my dad's 71 years speaking old, of right? your dad but but the one thing he, he mentioned to me as soon as we came out of the theater he's like dude that soundtrack was awesome it because really it was set in like 67 68 when they went back to the 60s and he's like i knew all those songs and i'm and i'm watching them as we're watching this in the theaters, bopping his head like back and forth, it's like yes. And the Patula Clark song "Downtown" has been mm-hmm. stuck in my head for the past couple of days. Like, yeah, you know, I've been listening. Too. I've been listening to her acapella version of it, like on really repeat. Good. So good, yeah. yeah. Really kind of really um, good scene in the movie too. Yeah, really. Again, just really memorable. So. Um, yeah, well, let's jump into some some critiques here. Uh, okay. See what, because there's a lot of stuff that I'm really curious to hear y'all's take on. Um, some things that I just really want to hear your opinion on, and some stuff that I wasn't sure how to take, and I just want to kind of hear your all's interpretation of it. Um, so just jumping right in, watching this movie, I feel like almost from the get go, I was getting this feeling like it was going to be kind of this. Um, like feminist manifesto kind of movie, like along the lines of the Stepford Wives or Rosemary's Baby. That's very much about like the plight of being a woman. And yeah. 
the the paranoia and danger of being a woman. And I was like really immersed in that feeling to the point that I was just like kind of feeling suspicious of every man who came on the screen. Let's set that just, up. Yeah, definitely. And feeling like just kind of automatically angry at every man who came on the screen through things like, you know, right off the bat, um, Ellie has this taxi driver when she first arrives in London, who is obviously really creepy and could right away become a potential danger to her. He's like, yeah. oh, I'll just you we'll know. work something out, love. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, oh, I don't have enough money. We'll work something out. Don't worry about yeah. it. And it's just like, oh, you're not but, a model. You got you got the legs. You could do, you could be one. Yeah, and yeah. Ja- Jacqueline, I, I I think you're right that that you feel that way, but they also it, that that to me was a secondary plot of it. You know, to me it was just more of, you know, this general thing of wanting to be a success, but how far would you be willing to go to get that success? You know, absolutely. I'm not saying that was the main story, but I I was thinking for much of the film that this was going to be the main message that it's like okay. about the danger of a being a woman. Be being a woman in a metro, like in a big city, that's you know dangerous. But also, like the danger that you put your, the danger that you put yourself in when you, as a woman, when you're trying to work your way up in a business that yeah. is largely controlled by men, that you're vulnerable sometimes to their influence and their demands, and you know these kinds of um, pressures. And which are still going on today. I mean, we hear mm-hmm. about female musicians all the time who are Taylor like Swift. Taylor Swift with, you know, the pressures of her music catalog and then Kesha yeah. saying that she was really controlled by her music producer and that she felt like she had to do X, Y, and Z or B X, Y, and Z in order to continue her career and be successful. And so I was really feeling like it was all about that. And I was almost kind of grouping it into this trifecta of, like I said, the Ira Levin stories of Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby. But then you have that twist at the end, which reveals that Sandy as a character is not a hundred percent a victim, that her role in this story is much more complicated than we've been led to believe. And things are much more morally complicated i mean she was the victim she was victimized so much so she is victimized yeah but she's also she's not completely a victim right because we find out that she's actually murdering these men right she becomes she becomes the vigilante of the movie but the thing was is i i noticed you know edgar writes and and he said it in many interviews that he loves the 60s you know he's he's a little older than all three all three of us but he he has an obsession with the 60s. But I think what he he tied into the 60s, and I don't know British culture or European culture that, you know, obviously America was going through the same thing, a very misogynistic, you need to do this for me if you want to do, if you want to get to these heights. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so obviously in, in Great Britain, they were experiencing the same thing. I didn't get that from Ellie. She's just a timid right. person well, that yeah. was bu- yeah. bullied by other women. There, there yeah. wasn't, she wasn't controlled by anybody else. I do like, you see that side too. You do see the women, the, the bullies like she has at school, like that side to it. I think right. what the distrust for men helps to set up too, is that when you meet John, because right after the taxi driver, you meet John, who's actually a really good guy. 
Right. But we're led to believe, like, don't trust him. He's just like all the rest, right? She, like, she, yeah, I was think, suspicious of him. him right? yeah. Every, you're supposed to be, right? He seems to but be she's, nice. She always kept him at arm's distance. There was, like, to me, yeah, I didn't yeah. see any threat Absolutely. from him. As soon as as soon as soon Ellie felt threatened in the tax cab when she first got to London, yeah. she's like, drop me off. I want to go. Yep. Whatever, love. And then and he offers to, like, help her with her bags, and she's totally like, no, nah, I'm good. I got it on my own. Right. And she goes to find out that in, he's very similar to her. He's kind of meek, too. Right. So he goes into the grocery or she goes into the grocery store. She's speaking around. Yeah. Sees him there. Looks around again. And he's gone. So he got the point. That, that makes me so mad, though. Like the fact that I mean, just the, the fact that women have to ever be in a situation where you have to literally hide from a man who's yeah following you or, you know, giving you unwanted attention. It just fucking pisses me off. Well, and it, it and that, that gave a lot of realism to this movie, you know, even mm-hmm. from that small scene of you know this guy googling or oogling this this like 19 year old girl it's like dude you're a fucking creep leave her alone i think this movie definitely services like strong women really well though absolutely Um, and so i think it's it's really interesting that ellie's story is not a direct parallel parallel to sandy's no um and and I think just by virtue of having watched a lot of movies, I was looking for Mm -hmm. like, I kind of expected it to somehow converge with Sandy's in a way that they were both like going through the same things. And it didn't really quite happen that way. Like a young girl in a big city, but right. Yeah. So there, so there are some similarities, but it's not entirely a parallel story. So as you already mentioned, like she, yes, she has this run in with the taxi driver, but she's in a school situation where she's, being you know she's following a dream she has a female teacher who's like encouraging her and she's not having the same kind of experience directly that sandy is having where she's trying to work her way up and there are men in control of her success and where she's being pressured to do things that she doesn't want to do and so these are not necessarily the same types of story you know what i mean I love the way they tied in in those dream sequences, though, you know, because it was you got this feeling that Ellie was enjoying. Uh, I, I forgot Matt, uh, Jack, but, uh, Matt mm-hmm. Smith, you know, the guy from yeah. Doctor Who, that that character was so charming good. Guy. I mean, as as shitty hit as he was, he was very charming at the beginning, you know, and they had it's like and we've talked about this before you know and Heidelberg and I are not the biggest musical fans but the music the dancing everything was placed perfectly that scene when you meet Jack or when you first meet Sandy to me is like one of the best scenes in the whole film oh my god and the way they look at each other like in the mirror the blocking and I don't know if it's editing and block or just blocking I don't know how much they're in the scene together actually the two actresses and then change spots but like it's so well done I noticed when I first saw it like She's in the mirror and then Anya's in the mirror and then like she's dancing with Jack and then real quick a shoulder goes by and now it's it's Anya. It was like so really it was so good. I thought the most interesting part was is I think they're in the phone book booth and there's a mirror right there mm-hmm. and, and they're kissing. And then um, Jack kisses uh, well, Sandy's neck and Anya Taylor Joy's neck. And and then you see Ellie in the mirror get her neck kissed. And then she ends up with a hickey on her neck, which was like, like, like she's so like all this stuff was like so brilliant, brilliantly put together. Yeah. Well, and I'll throw in a little trivia right here just because I can. Um, 
the I learned that that scene with the dancing and the quick editing where it's mm-hmm. Anya Taylor Joy and then it's Thomas and Mackenzie. Um, that was done almost entirely practically with I so. very deliberate, careful choreography. Perfectly I think there fine. were like, yep. I think there were like maybe two cuts that were um, done with some like digital editing, but everything else was done in camera with everyone present and just same very set careful. and everything. That's a so like the mirror scenes. That's like isn't that something? Oh that's my gosh! Thomason behind the mirror, I guess, or behind like, and then she must exit out at some point to get back onto the dance floor as, as Anya's going down, uh, Sandy's going down the stairs. Like, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think with the, with the, um, with the mirror image, I believe that was like part of the, the trickery. Like there was, Mm -hmm. um, some green screen used for that to like insert her image. But, um, but the dancing, the dancing was all like choreographed and done in camera. Oh my God. that makes See, me like appreciate super this impressive. Yeah. It was so amazing. I mean, it was just like like just the way this whole movie was put together. I, I think we need to go back and mention that Ellie was a very um she comes from a, a simpler family, like out in the country of the outskirts of London. Uh her mother had mental health issues, which is mm-hmm. another, you know, another subplot of this movie yep. that her mother killed herself, but she has uh, and her grandma explained it away that you have this you have this ability to be able to see dead people or whatever it is. Whatever she, it is, she, you pick up on dreams or like memories or dead people. It's hard to. Yeah. You have out. a gift. You have yeah. some sort of gift. Uh, and at the beginning of the movie, I love the way it opened because she's opening the door, listening to the 60s song and just dancing around while she's in this her mother. newspaper dress. And she sees her mom in the, in the mirror and she finds out she gets into uh, a fashion school. I love that opening scene too. Yeah, it's really so good. did I. And it mirrors the end, the end when, when when we the fire goes out at the very end, it opens up a door opens up and we see the model in the pink dress and it's yep. like the same silhouette as it was when she was dancing in her dress and then it's her fashion show. Touching real quick though, like I love the I find it so endearing the relationship that she has with her grandmother. Mm-hmm. I you could just tell like you could with just little bit of time on screen you could see the dynamic that they had. You, you know, like, all right, mom died. Grandma raised, got over it as best she could. And she raised Eloise as much as she, as best she could as her own, right. you know, without trying to like put any extra burden on her or anything like that because of what happened with her daughter, you know? And you could just see that they, their relationship is just so tight. And yeah, I just, it's I a very know, loving really relationship. The who played the grandmother. I wish she was kind of in the movie more. That was one of my critiques. Yeah, she was really loving and very supportive. Um, you could tell yeah. that that's a, he- a healthy relationship that gives her, I think it gives her a lot of stability. Absolutely. Um, and just going on, going back to something John said a minute ago about her mother's mental health issues. I think that's one of the interesting things about this film is that because Ellie is able to perceive these things that not just anyone can see. So she's having these dreams of things that really happened in the past they're bleeding yeah. over into her daily life. She's having some visions and certain things seem to be sort of crossing the threshold into reality. I think it's interesting to consider like, well, has she inherited some mental health issues from her mother or mm-hmm. is this like some kind of a psychic gift? And is there really like such a difference between the two? And like one is, is she going to be stigmatized and is it going to be assumed that she is mentally ill because she's saying she, when she finally tries to tell people it's like very 
unbelievable, of course. Okay, so 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 like that question was was answered to me, and I agree with you, Jacqueline. That was answered at the very last scene of the movie, the very last shot when she sees Anya and the uh, Sandy. They touch fingers. Yeah. So she's like, that's that was one scene I I wrote down too. I wasn't sure if if that scene was a little. I don't know. Like well, we haven't given away the spoiler, <laughs> or we haven't get, we, we haven't spoiled it, it yet. Of I kind of would have liked if Eloise threw like draped a little piece of fabric over the mirror at that point. You know what I mean? Like, I guess she came to grips with it. Like she, but but the, the way the way Edgar set it up was perfect. I mean, because it was this crescendo of scary music. Yeah, and Ellie walks up to the mirror and sees Sandy in there, and they touch fingers, and then cut to black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought I, I thought that was the, the yes, she is suffering from the same thing that her mom does, although she's become a success. I, I don't know that I necessarily came to that exact conclusion. I just I kind of feel like it's it, it's like the 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 specter, if you will, of that is is raised a little bit. But I I don't know that I think she's necessarily mentally ill. I kind of I kind of just read it as she has a, like special perceptive abilities but it's but like then th- that also that also puts a plot hole in the whole entire movie What's is that, that if, if she has this perception of dead people she's living vicariously through somebody that allegedly is dead. i wrote that down too like that was one of my concerns at the end was just she has that vision in the end where we start getting the plot twist that like oh sandy murdered someone not the fact that mm-hmm. she was murdered right and mm-hmm. like Right. If she sees everything almost one for one the way it was, how come that one scene is twisted a little bit? So 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 if they're setting this up at the very beginning of seeing her mother who had who had committed suicide, who, who had passed away, you know, her visions or her gift is being able to see dead people. And throughout the movie, you see these specters, which I thought looked really rad. These yeah. these these fucking assholes that were taking advantage of Sandy in the past. It looked really cool because it just felt like a, almost like a ghost where like the, distorted. Uh, the, the, you know, they just come up and they're, they're, yeah, they're distorted and just gray and they're, they're kind of chasing after her. And they don't have distinct faces. No, exactly. Which, which goes to like, it's just like one man after another. Like they're yeah. not individuals. They don't have individual exactly. identities or personalities. It's just like a blur of man after man after man after man. That's kind of how it was for Sandy too. You know what Ex- I mean? That's what I'm speaking. saying. Is yeah, like, exactly, yeah. Right. So her, I, like it didn't matter who specifically they were. They were just like nope. these faceless men. Right. And that's pretty much all they were because, you right. know, you, you kept here and the sound design was perfect. It's like, you know, what's your name? darling and yeah you know, that's a beautiful that's a lovely name, name. That's yeah name. and you can see name. how she's just and you hear this echo back. and being in the theater it sounded really really good mm-hmm. um you know and i i really love the way they set up of jack still being alive right i wasn't he was not yeah <laughs> he was not you think that jack is the the gray-haired man it's right. Terrence Stamp. And, and that's by the way, the hearings, yeah. yeah, one of the best actors I've yeah. ever seen. And he just he was so creepy throughout the movie. So what yeah, I he do really like he about- really kind of made himself appear. I mean, I guess that's the, the deception of the filmmaking. But it, like he really did come off as somebody who was guilty of something. I started to right. wonder if he at first when I first saw him, I would thought, is this Eloise's dad? Because we don't know anything about him. Right. And like he starts wondering, he recognized you look like somebody I knew, like 
So I'm like, oh, shit, maybe he saw the mom when she was in the city at that, t- at that time years mm. ago. You know what I mean? See, so, my, yeah, my initial thought was that it was Jack because they they had set up Jack. And, and that's where and, I went after that. Yeah, I definitely thought that, too. And, and it was just like, you know, this is you look like somebody I, I knew. And and again, you know, it was so ambiguous that, yeah. you, you know, it could have been either way. And then all of a sudden you find out the at the end is that Terrence Stamp's character was was it Leslie? Yeah. I don't remember the character's name, but the investigator. Yeah, he was the investigator, whatever. which which one of the gentlemen that were that was talking to Sandy, you know, back in the 60s. Right. Was was trying to get her out of this. Yeah, He was like a vice detective right. trying to. Help. Yeah, but, yeah, oh, OK, yeah. He was trying to help her. Yeah, because she goes, oh, you're you're a police officer. You know, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, if that's what you think, but you should stop doing this. Mm hmm. Yeah, I just I do think like Edgar Wright, the writing's so good that like it it never tips the hat enough in one direction for us to think like we have everything solved right away. Like there were times in the movie where I did think that Mrs. Collins might have been Sandy, but I never actually like 100 percent went with it. Right. I was like, oh, maybe. Oh, no, maybe not. You know what I mean? And like you said, I thought maybe the guy was Jack. And then when you meet the detective, I'm like, oh, they have similar eyes and their dialect is a little similar. Oh, just, that was very observant. In, yeah, he never went in one full direction where I felt like you could just feel like you nailed it. I, 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 and I disagree only because of the fact that that you know the the you know the blinders over my eyes was thinking that this you know this elderly gentleman was Jack. You know, so so I it, the wool was pulled over my eyes because I was so enthralled with the movie is that not even thinking that the landlord of this house was anywhere near Sandy until the end. I agree. I, I I agree. My, the, I was I was totally deceived by that twist as well. Like jo- like yeah. John said, I the wool was definitely pulled over my eyes because I was so engaged and just kind of went all in. Like, oh, that's clearly Jack, and oh, Sandy was obviously murdered. Um, but I will say that when those twists are revealed, like a that guy was not Jack; it was mm-hmm. the police officer, and also that Sandy's not dead; she's actually the landlady. I didn't like sometimes you get a twist in a movie or you something major is revealed and it feels like it like you were cheated because there's no way that you could have seen that coming like yeah you know or it's like it's something that you never could have possibly guessed but I feel like this was fair like when when that was yes exactly it was earned and when it was revealed I could think back just mm-hmm. immediately and think oh there were clues to this along the way that i just didn't see but yep. now i can see them like when she was saying oh in the summer the, you know the only the only thing you can smell is something like she made a reference to something, something being smelly. oh the smells yeah. come up through the yeah. walls yeah. yes 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 and yeah. so i didn't pay attention to that at the time but as soon as we found out i know what she Collins did was really ex- yeah and so i was like oh that's why she that's was why she wants smells. no men in the house Right. And so yeah. I, I Hyderberg, that was weird. the exact right word for it, that like the twists were earned here. Yeah. And I think that's a credit to the storytelling and the Absolutely. the way that the plot unfolds and the way that the secrets are revealed. Can, can I say, also say something about that, the whole murder scene where you think that Jack is killing Sandy? Mm-hmm. It's all from Ellie's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Hydra, you actually sent us a, a photo of the knife, you know, the big butcher knife with um, Ellie's Ellie eyes, kind eyes of affixed, it, it, not, not on it, but just like, like you see the reflection of her eyes. 
you're getting the perspective of the murder from her eyes and mm-hmm. she's sideways. So you don't, <laughs> the way Edgar Wright shot it, it did look like that Jack was killing her. But yeah. actually what had happened was, is like the perspective, if you flipped it back around, that's exactly what happened. And also and Eloise is like so brilliant, brilliantly shot that I was just like, I thought about it at the end. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. You're looking at it through her eyes yeah, and you're not seeing him stab her. You're, you're seeing stab. You're seeing blood. Yeah. And your mind jumps to a conclusion. Based your your on the brain goes Eloise's. I feel like too, yeah, you're not hundred percent trustworthy goes, to the narrator, right? She's yeah. Your brain exactly. goes, She's Oh biased, yeah. Jack's stabbing her. But the, the, like when they showed it, what actually happened that Sandy was stabbing him and all the blood him. of him was rushing on her. So she looked like she had been. Yeah, it's it's about kind of like our expectations. And I think Edgar Wright was very clever in playing off our yeah. expectations. And he didn't show us what we thought we saw. Mm-hmm. And but we <laughs> our minds kind of fill in the blanks and assume that That's this right. is what happened. But it's not really it's almost kind of like in Psycho. In that shower scene where Janet Lee is being stabbed, you don't actually see a knife yeah. stabbing her, but it's shot so cleverly that your mind, your imagination fills in the blanks. Or right. like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. like people remember it as being super bloody. It's not though. But really, it's not that gory of a film, but your thing. mind fills it in be- yep. you know, because of what you are shown and the, the kind of leaps that I your imagination takes. That scene too, like, like you mentioned Hitchcock too, because like I get a lot of Hitchcock vibes from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Brian De Palma. I'd like to touch on that later. But um, I uh, that scene cuts back and forth to Eloise's view and you get John's view. You see the door. You hear Mrs. Collins. So there's other things distracting you from the initial dream sequence that's going on. So, yeah, like it, it definitely distracts you for a minute where you're not getting all the facts or all the details. And you're like, oh, shit, what's going on? John's fucking trying. You, you're kind of putting yourself in John's place to you. Like, oh, my God. Like, well, yeah, and, and the Collins thinks he's raping her. Yeah, she and the well, that's the exactly how she's exactly. reacting, which like to me, like that whole sequence was just it was so disturbing, but so good. Yeah. And, and it was just because it's like 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 you know, Mrs. Collins is just like, you know, are you okay? And you know, John's going, I didn't do anything. It's like like are you okay? Talk to me, you know, and his hands are up and she's just you know, wide-eyed. I I, I think that's why I came to the conclusion at the end that that she does have mental health issues and received that way, at least for people that don't know. It it feels well, well, no, it also feels like she does at the end that, that she's kind of accepted it when she sees Sandy in the mirror. Yes, but she has that ability. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless Sandy's her, her guardian angel, I mean, she sees her mom, but at the very end of the movie. And she's actually, I understand that, but but, how is Sandy now? How is, I know her. Well, well, okay. So, but Sandy had mental health issues too. I mean, if you like the trauma caused that to go murder a hundred guys, 101 guys, whatever it was. I don't know that we can call trauma like a mental health issue. I mean, I guess, I mean, it, it is, but it's not like, it's not like an intrinsic thing in your brain. It's like a response to, to something that has happened to you. It's not the same as something that kind of develops on its own, like depression or schizophrenia or something. It's Under, a, we consider mental illness. Understood, but, like, but she it. seeked every single one of these guys out, right? So we found yeah. out at the end of the movie and killed these guys. Anyone that took it, that, 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 well, let's call it, took raped her, yeah. raped her, raped her, 
yeah. and took every single one of them out. Because at the end of the movie, it's like, you know, these were all like phantoms or, or, or gray figures that, that were frightening Ellie. She walks into the room. They, she walks into the room. They all turn to human and they're mm-hmm. all frightened. Yeah. Like, oh, looking at her like, pounds. oh no. Yeah. yeah. And so, the scene where she gets, where she kills them, they cut to that quick, like little, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> so, so a couple of things I'd, I'd kind of like to say about that. First of all, I kind of interpreted Ellie's abilities as like, I, I, I didn't necessarily come to the conclu- conclusion that she has mental health problems. I, I almost kind of interpreted it as the shining. Yeah. Like she, like she has an ability to see things that are either happening right now, but she's just not present for, or, but she's, but also able to see things in the past that have mm-hmm. already happened. And like, not, I guess what I'm saying is, it's not that she strictly only has the ability to see dead people. Like no. she's able to see other things, like things that have happened memories. in the past, but that people aren't necessarily dead. For example, just seeing Sandy, like we know that Sandy's alive. We find out that Sandy's still alive. So clearly she has the ability to see more than just dead people. Like, yes, she sees the, the spirits of these men who are now dead, but she sees more than that too. Actually, and something so- just clicked. Yeah. Something just clicked in my brain is because it's always a reflection. If Sandy's there. It's almost just like, like she's, she's Sandy, but every, every, everything else she's saying was, you know, somebody that had died. Well, Sandy's the version of herself that she would like to be. Correct. So, so, and, and I just thought about something is that there's one, one point in the movie where um, Ellie, I guess, she, where was she at? She, she, she must've been at a party or something like that, or the Halloween party. And she sees Sandy walking down and she's chasing after her. And then all of a sudden all the ghosts come after her, but yeah, you know, Sandy turns around and goes like, leave me alone or something like that. She was talking to Jack. Yeah. It's like a mirror sort of, she was actually talking to Jack in the memory. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I think, uh, we don't know whether the mother had the same ability and that was and she just couldn't come to grips with it. And maybe that's why she ended up killing herself or she actually just did have mental illness. And I could see this ability just being seen as mental illness from people that aren't in yeah. the know of what's really going on. I got to watch exactly what I, that's exactly what I was kind of trying to say before I yeah. put the words to. So thanks, Hyderberg. I think I think it just sets it up as like sort of ambiguous, like she doesn't seem mentally ill to us because we're seeing through her mm-hmm. eyes. Right. But to anybody else outside of that, if she when she tries telling yeah, people like I can me. see a murder that happened fifty yeah. years ago, like Pops, that sounds yeah, that sounds insane, right? Um, like it's totally illogical and not within the realm of reality. Um, and so I think it's ambiguous. And I think because of her mother's history, I think it gives people a reason to jump to that conclusion that she's just insane mm-hmm. when when what she's seeing is actually true although colored by perceptions like she thinks that sandy has been yeah. murdered when we find out that she's not but so, so here's here's my question would be you know let's jump to the end again is that you know uh, uh ellie has a successful fashion show and everybody's excited about it and her grandma and john come back there and wish her congratulations first thing she sees in the mirror is her mom and uh-huh. the grandma comes up and says uh your mom would be so proud of you and she goes i know and then at the very end, she sees Sandy in the mirror. Is that her acceptance of her gift? I think so. Is that something else? 
I think it's supposed to mean like she's come to grips with it. And Sandy's now dead, right? Actually, yes, Collins died in the fire. So like, right. So she can see her in the sort of there. Like, hey, I see you, kid. You know, you did it. And then like she's like accepting of it, and she touches the mirror, and it's sort of like a, yep, you know, we did it. And I almost kind of feel as though Sandy, to an extent, is Ellie's muse. Yeah. Yeah, for her, definitely for her whole fashion line, right? Yeah. And so I feel like no matter what, I think Sandy will always be with her, you know, and, and the influence that she's had in those, the experience that she had, um, you know, her, her fashion show would not have been a success without mm-hmm. Sandy. True. Yeah, you're right. That Yeah. I mean, that was like her first project where the teacher goes, oh, my gosh, well, this is so retro. But you know what? You're on. I love that here. teacher, too, by the way. Yeah. She's only in it a little bit, but I love how supportive she is of Eloise. Yeah, like you kind of expect well, her the other to girl be such stern. bitches, man. Ugh. Well, so you kind of expect the teacher to be stern, right? Like when she has a couple of yeah. freakouts in class, or she's she starts cool. to trash like her. A moment here, it's, it's natural. Yeah, she starts to trash her her project, yep. and yeah, you know, wash your vision like, for a second. No, no, like you need to continue this. This is good. Mm-hmm. Like she's really encouraging, and I, I like that. It's how a, much did you hate Jacosta? I fucking hate oh, her. Her. The way she grandstands fucking Ellie in the room were like, oh, my mom died too. Oh, I had an uncle that died because Ellie's mom's death was more traumatic than mine. It's like, who fucking cares? Like, like I'm really trauma. strong too. I'm really brave and strong too. Yeah, holy <laughs> shit. Get over yourself. Gross. I hate people. Who... Just, I can't stand Sorry, that's her. Not, that's not I know nice to I'm say. Not... But, okay. Did... I'll ask you this is did she add anything to the story? Because again, it didn't give it didn't give Ellie empowerment. It just it gave her a reason to leave well, the dorms. I but I do like that. I like seeing Ellie get her independence. She took it upon herself. I'm getting out of this toxic area. Like I got my own place, and that's what Maybe, sets yeah. up the, the beginning of the you know the plot. That's how she meets Mrs. Collins. So I kind of like the way that that felt natural to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, de- I mean, it was a good device, but it was a device, I think, to get yeah. her into this new apartment. Um, but also, I think it's, it also serves to highlight her um, kind of isolation, like being from a different area of the country. You know, she's really from mm-hmm. a rural country area, yeah. and she's different. Like she's different from the other students there. She's not as worldly. She's not as experienced. She's been very sheltered. She's um, not as shallow either, though. Right. And so maybe that plays into her, 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 her extra perception and her depth. Yeah. I think that um, she's not as shallow. So I don't know. I, I think it, it goes to like social alienation. It goes to her, um, like the difference of, of life in a, in a fast city. Because, well, just like Sandy, you know, Sandy is, Mm-hmm. coming to a big city to try to find success but she's really in over her head and i think if um if ellie had been from london or whatever and not accustomed to people like this or not accustomed to being treated this way i think that it, it wouldn't have um but it wouldn't I, have had the same impact of her also trying to achieve the same thing she's trying to achieve something but she's a little out of she's a little bit of a fish out of water i think i I think it's relatable to a lot of people. I mean, if you are from a rural area, you think you're the most badass football, soccer, baseball player, and you go to college, and then all of a sudden you see, you know, these these other football, soccer, baseball players are that much better. It's like, oh shit, yeah. what am I going right. to do? Which isn't to say that these these girls that she encounters are better, but they no, are more no, worldly. Yeah, they're they're more worldly. They're right, more experienced. Right, right. Um, 
and they're maybe not as quite as serious. <laughs> right. Well, right. until, uh, until Ellie, that. yeah, until yeah. Ellie has these visions, you know, her, her clothes are very like, you know, newspaper. They're, uh, seem like just clothes of you go to Michael's and grab some fabric and put something together. You know, these girls are oh, like, she made them all oh, very high end. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they treat her like a bumpkin. Oh like, my God. Thank God she overheard them. Otherwise, there would have been it would, like if she hadn't overheard them, she would have thought they were her friends. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that we weren't subjected. To, I mean, that would just be torture to watch her be like continue to be humiliated by this girl by these girls and not realize that she, they. I were love really that scene where she's about two-faced. to stab Jacosta in the face because she thinks she's a specter, and John saves the day. Like, <laughs> I was like, do oh, it! Oh yeah! Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, real quick to touch on the Halloween party. Did you see the costume that the mean girls are wearing? They're all the craft uh, chicks. They're the chicks. Oh, the were craft. they? Yeah. I'll just scratch that right off my trivia quiz. Oh, my bad. Oh, dang <laughs> it. Okay. And then, well, did you, so then while we're doing it, did you pick up on the makeup that John and her wore? Because that was a Dead Presidents reference, if you ask me. The movie Dead Presidents. Oh, I, I thought the way their makeup is done. Like, I thought it was Karate Kid. Kid. Um, yeah, but Karate Kid did real skull makeup. If you look at Dead Presidents, like look at the poster for Dead Presidents, those rounded eyes. That's totally Bird, that Presidents. looks like one of your previous Halloween costumes. That's similar. If you check my okay. Instagram, you maybe, might find maybe recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't plugging it because of that. Also, um, when they're in the bar and John goes to visit her and he finds out she's working in the bar and he goes to visit her, he owes her a couple pints of a certain beer. Did you name? Did you hear the name of it? He's like, let no. me get three Cronenbergs. I don't know if that's no a way. Weird. Yeah, really? But I oh, that that's up so the cool. First time I saw this, I was like, is that a nod to David Cronenberg? That'd be oh, awesome. I didn't notice that. John, how many times did you watch this movie? Just once? I just saw it once. Yeah, I, okay. I want to watch it multiple times now. I mean, there, there, there's I, I know there's so many things I missed in this movie. Um, I got to say the color palette was perfect, too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Every t- every time you saw red, you know, something bad was going to happen. Yeah, It was almost like a giallo film. And not not True, not the that. technical giallo of like the uh, leather glove with a knife. Yeah. It was the color of what was going to happen. That is very funny you mentioned that because now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking when we get the reveal that Mrs. Collins is Sandy, right? You see her mail real quick when, uh, and you see Alexander Collins, mm-hmm. Alexander Collins in the mail. Her mm-hmm. lipstick is like a deep red. Yeah. Which is funny that you mentioned that. I wonder, yeah, that must be intentional then. Because I did focus on it this time. I was like, man, her makeup was like, I don't remember her wearing lipstick it, so much. And it was even as simple as as, as her her loft or her mm-hmm. room being right next to the, 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 the sign, the, the neon sign. I love that. You know, it was red, blue, red. And anytime I go to red, you know, you knew something bad was going to happen. You know, it's like any Giallo film, you know, that's going to happen. Red represents murder or death or whatever i i think this had several nods to giallo films um maybe even more like more deliberate and more and like better executed than malignant which you know supposedly had some nods to james one feast of the eyes (sighs) anyway (laughs) i do think there were several deliberate nods to this i mean if you think about it in some ways it it does have like a giallo kind of underlying feel to it uh that she's trying to solve a murder uh, so i but... got the palma vibes from okay a lot tell, of the second tell us about that. yeah i want to hear about that you mentioned that before what, what I, do you mean? I, it just like started dawning on me like how much this might be like a sort of a nod to like the palma films or hitchcock mainly De palma from edgar wright just the 
the whole like woman trying to figure out a crime. And then there's the twist at the end and some of the, just just some of the ways of like she's being chased. And they, like the Palmer films tend to have like uh, what was it? Um, what was that one that they covered recently on um, Carrie chilling with the crossdresser? Oh, uh, dress to dress kill. To kill. Reminded me kill. a little bit of that. Like just like especially the scene in the library where they start coming after her and she's just like overwhelmed. And like she's running away in the uh, in the in the hallway, too, with all the guys that look like they're there for an audition. And then they all turn into like the specters behind her. And she's starting to like unravel a little bit mentally, too. Yeah. And I just feel like that mirrors a little bit some of the films that the Palm has done. Yeah. Well, it, it, let me bring this up to you guys. Is that have you ever seen a movie like this? All the way through. I mean, just like like, did you go like this is exactly like this or this is exact. I mean, no. it, it's an intertwining no. of stuff. Yeah. But to, to me, this movie was so fucking unique. And, you know, I mean that in the best possible terms that it was just like everything about it. I, even at the beginning, because like the first maybe fourth of the movie is a character build. You're learning who these characters are. There's some explanation. There's some exposition behind these characters. Mm-hmm. And, and the way it builds, it's just this kind of like crescendo at the end. And you're like, and maybe, maybe you did predict the end, or maybe you did predict that Mrs. Collins was actually Sandy and she survived or, or there was some sort of reversal, but, but, but again, Sandy survived, but then you find out she murdered a hundred motherfuckers, which yeah. they deserve. And it's just like, you know, mind blown. And at the end of the movie, I mean, it's up for interpretation. Again, I want to watch this movie two or three more times, not in one sitting, but I mean, watch it again. And then, you know, a couple of days later, because I've been thinking about this movie ever since I watched it on Friday and I'm just like, I'm blown away. Yeah. Uh, one critique that I have of this movie is that I, I'm not entirely clear on what the relationship between Ellie and Sandy is really supposed to be. I know we touched on this earlier and we talked about her being a muse and, but it's like, why is she specifically able to pick up on this girl? And when she has that, that very first time that she goes into her like dream state and she is first submerged into the sixties and is, you know, sees this character Sandy for the first time, we, we see them relating in a in several different ways actually there are some times when ellie is a a mirror image of sandy Mm -hmm. right there are times when ellie actually replaces sandy in the Mm -hmm. action Mm -hmm. there are times when she is like an objective observer and she's like standing still while sandy's doing something and she's able to see what's happening and like sort of comment on it or try to interact with sandy interesting um, and so there's, it's not like just one way that we see, like, it's not that she's always a mirror image, you yeah. know, the you know replacement what I mean? scenes could be her desires to have some of what Sandy's experiencing at that moment, like a guy fawning for her. She's dancing, she's being kissed. You know what I mean? She hasn't right. had any of those moments in life yet. Right. But so it, what I'm saying is just that it's a mishmash. And so it's mm-hmm. not totally clear. And so no, I like that. at first, you know, I was really focusing mostly on the mirror image side of it. And so that's partially why I expected to see a parallel storyline with Ellie to Sandy's that we don't that doesn't play out. Like, as we talked about before, her story doesn't necessarily parallel Sandy's. 
Um, she's not being constantly preyed upon and used and all this. Um, but I, I think I think there's a victimization and also the fact that they're in the same exact location of each other that, you know, well, that's there's yeah, maybe there's this this residual, you know, uh, um, empathy between the two. And then it becomes like it's something bigger that that Ellie can experience the victim victimization with her first night. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just it, it kind of just brought up questions in me like so I think if this movie were made by a less competent filmmaker I might think that this sort of switching around of perspectives was a little sloppy or like mm-hmm. not well thought out but because it's Edgar Wright I feel I I choose to chalk it up to something like what you said like kind of a like a desire to be in her position and also something about being in a dream state where perspectives can shift and identities yeah. can shift, you know, like when you're having a dream, sometimes you're in this position and sometimes you're that and people's faces, That's- you know, people's identities can interchange like, Oh, you know, you tell your friend like, Oh, yeah. you were in my dream last night, but it wasn't really you. you. So it was intense. somebody else. And so right, but- this kind of, this kind of um, malleability of identity. Right, but you also you also remember that Mrs. Collins, like when she's showing Ellie the the apartment, of I don't touch anything in her. But the fact yeah, that she's Sandy, you know, it's residual. It's like, you know, you come in here, you may experience things. I haven't touched mm-hmm. anything in here. Why? Because there's dead yeah. bodies in the walls. That's why. So she I guess like, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that kind of goes back to the shining thing, like when Dick Halloran's like, you know, when things happen, it leaves a trace behind, and people who are per- perceptive, people have to could, shine. Yeah, can see yeah, it. very much, very much. So I, I think I, that's kind of how I interpret her ability. I also think um, you mentioned the mirrors. That plays a big role towards the end too. Like it's definitely a theme because if you notice in the end, all the all the dead bodies breaking out of everything and it's all done to be like they're breaking out of mirrors, right? You see broken glass whenever the hand. Oh yeah. Out of the the floors and stuff like that. Yeah. It becomes like the whole motif to the end. I actually love the end too, where like Sandy and Miss Collins are mirrored and they're going up the stairs attacking um, Eloise. And like, they keep jumping back and forth. Like Mrs. Collins will turn. She'll look at um, John on the floor and then she'll turn around. Now she's Sandy again. And I just love the way they do that scene. Yeah, it's and like the, mirror, the stairs become steps. like mirrors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. a fucking like a dream state almost for Ellie or something. Yeah, yeah. I gotta watch this movie yeah. again. Yeah, yeah I, I gotta like, watch this. I feel like more viewings will kind of help me. Judge and Diana Rigg, I think that's her name, who plays uh, Mrs. Collins. She's so good. Oh when you first meet her, just like her really cadence good. and the way she's like, "I hope you like garlic because that's all <laughs> you're gonna smell." You know, just like. She's so matter of fact about everything. I gotta yeah. tell you, I would love to live in an apartment that smells like garlic all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like the French restaurant downstairs. That would yeah, be you okay won't eat avocados. Come on. See, like I feel like they they nod towards you early on when you see that Sandy lived in the same place. She gives her address to Jack. So, like, yeah, there's so many breadcrumbs that can lead you to figure out what's going on, but I don't think you do because they tip they tip you this way, they bring you this way. And you never actually cement in one yeah, direction. That's exactly I, I, what I, I, I that's why I think filmmaking. it's such a perfect, it's such a perfect twist because it gives you yeah. enough that it's a plausible twist, yep. but it, you don't necessarily catch on too early. Mm-hmm. At the so beginning of the podcast, right. yeah, at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about like movies that we buy on physical media. And like, to me, 
I would absolutely buy this one because I could watch oh, it totally. every so often and just to just really just absorb it because oh, man, I'm still thinking about it. I mean, it's like our discussion is, is really helping me yeah, out here, really but, but again, it's, it's not making me hate the movie any anymore, or it's making me love the movie even more. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, it's like, like, like I went in with this idea of like, well, what should I come in at? But makes me love it even more. I like to, for me, like uh, most of the actors in this, I'm not, are not that well known to me, at least. Like I don't watch Dr. Who, so I'm not familiar with the guy who plays Jack, but he was excellent. Uh, I know Mrs. Collins. I'm sure she's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, she's recognizable, but like um, Ellie's uh the actor who plays Ellie, uh, Thomas Thomason McKenzie. Yeah, like she's really good, and I've never seen her before. You know, I've seen Anya Taylor Joy, of course, obviously, but the Veach plays a supportive role. The Veach, the Veach. <laughs> Wasn't Anya Taylor Joy's character in The Witch named Thomason? Wow, I think you might be right. Actually, yeah. Holy I'm shit. not 100 percent sure about that, but I my memory kind of right. Me that that's... Fucking bastard. <laughs> Is this guy brilliant or what? He's a genius. He changed the name. He made Eloise's characters, the actress's name, Thomason, years ago, just so he could make this movie. Just so he (laughs) could make this movie. Genius. Yep. Yep. Oh, big shout out to Edgar Wright. I I found out today that he's a big physical media supporter. He has a huge collection. So (laughs) I would would assume that any major filmmaker, well, any filmmaker would have a huge physical media collection. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Well, we know that Edgar's listening to the to the podcast, so Edgar. Clearly, there you go. What? <laughs> well, and I, I also wanted to throw in there. I actually am not very experienced or well versed in Edgar Wright films. I'm pretty sure the only film of his I've ever seen is Shaun of the Dead, and okay. so I've I, seen I, three of them. I'm just not familiar. I know that he did <laughs> Hot Fuzz, and what was the other? Watch that. He what did. Last day of the world or last. Yeah. Last day of the world and baby driver. So I've seen baby driver. I've seen hot fuzz. I've seen. Charles oh, he did that one. Yeah. That one's funny. The last. Uh... You talking about the one with the celebrities. Last day on earth or something like that. But it's part of the trilogy. I think you're thinking this is the end. Hyderabad. Oh yeah. This is the end. Is what I'm Seth thinking. Rogen. Yeah, okay. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so I only, so my only experience with him having seen Shaun of the dead and knowing about hot fuzz I think that of him world, as like a comedy. End. Yeah, I think of him as like a comedy guy. Scott Pilgrim, and, I've seen. And so the whole, just when I first saw this trailer several months ago, I thought, well, that's different from what I would expect from him. Again, I, I'm not well versed in his whole filmography, but so I was really intrigued that this seemed like a very serious film, you know, and and with a and it very, was a very specific style, a very specific style that doesn't really match the very little that I've seen from him before. So I was he did one of the uh, trailers, I think, in Grindhouse. Yeah. Which one was it? Was it don't? I, don't, I think it was don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't. That was pr- that was, that he was did Scott funny. Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. That's it. All right. Too. I've seen that one too. So yeah, that's a good movie. Baby Driver is really good. You should watch that. Oh, it's it's excellent. It's a great soundtrack too. If you like this soundtrack, Baby Driver soundtrack is just as good. There was oh, something oh. so moody about this soundtrack that just it, it fit all the way through, you know. I, Almost I, like they wrote scenes around it or something. Yeah, it was like, yeah. like to me, I'm not a 60s music fan, but my Ooh. dad said they're bopping his head. But like, like the way the way he placed it was so good. Yeah. Like I said, the patrol, 
Pachula. Is that how you say your name? Yeah. Pachula Clark. Clark. Downtown. I mean, it was, it was so eerie and I'm just like, wow. That's, I didn't realize it was that eerie of a song. <laughs> now, I think Anya Taylor-Joy might have actually sung that part. She did. Oh, she did. Did she really? Yeah, that's really her. So, so. Like, oh, you can, you can listen. Again. No, 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 that's okay. No, you I didn't know that for sure. I was just guessing. <laughs> you can, no, you can stream it. And that's, it's her. Like the artist is Anya Taylor-Joy. I thought so. It sounds yeah, like it's really her. Wow. So, uh, she killed any it. Other, any other major points that you guys want to throw in there before we give our ratings? <laughs> Only thing we didn't bring up is the acting was great all the way through, in my opinion. Oh yeah, like I liked everybody in this movie. Lisa. Even the you know the bitchy girl, like she yep. did a good job. She made you not like her. Yep. You know, yeah, uh, I, my one critique was, and it's a small one, and I get why they have it. It's like I, I, I like the grandmother, and like when the, she was on the phone with her, I would have loved to see like a quick jump cut to her at home. But I get why they don't do that either, because it shows that Ellie still feels alone, right? You don't see grandma; right. you right. just hear her voice, and then like she talks to her less and less. But I just really liked like the, the grandmother and her relationship. So I kind of wanted to see more of her. But I get why you don't. Mm. Right. So this might be an unpopular opinion, but uh, I would actually say that my least favorite character in the movie is actually Ellie. Um, well, I'm going to walk that back a little bit. It's not that she's my least favorite character. I think my least favorite acting job was, was done by... Um, Thompson McKenzie not that it was the bad acting job but there were some choices that she made as an actress that just uh, rubbed me the wrong way like there are moments when as Ellie her voice sounds very um, mm. kind of almost tearful and child almost a little bit like Rose in mm. um, what's that movie we just watched the Furious. what well, yeah the Furies where it was like almost kind of little girl whiny kind of like I'm about to cry kind of and it just, it grated on me and felt almost like, it almost made her seem pathetic to me. And I didn't want her to seem pathetic. I wanted, her to seem, I wanted her to, I know, I'm a mean girl. But <laughs> like, I wanted, I was in, I was, I yeah. was identifying with her when she was feeling like vulnerable or overwhelmed or confused. I didn't want her to feel pathetic. And there were moments where there was a little tinge of that yeah, and it I just rubbed me it. the wrong way. So I wanted her to not be like a, like a, a baby, like a but baby I get where voice. it's coming from too. You know, she's sheltered. She's a country girl. She's literally lived yeah. with her grandmother this whole time. I know. I get that. It was just, it was really just a choice in like kind of the vocal expression mm -hmm. of like, almost like sounding like a little girl some, on occasion. That's, that's no, all I, I really it. mean. I, and I know that bothered you, but you know what I really like? Like the character of John, <laughs> like the character of John was, was like her parallel yeah, because he was. he was drinking a Coke. He wasn't like, like He's... he grabbed beers for his friends. You didn't see him drinking. like. And then it was her Coke. He was like, oh, yeah. God. And, and then like he gave her a Coke that said, I'm yeah. sorry. How sweet was that? Was like, yeah, nice it was really guy. sweet. Yeah, it was like, you know, gave you a little. Kind of glad he pulled through, too. Yeah. Me, too. I love a nice guy. Yeah. No, it was a totally enough of him. He was a sweetheart. He was just like, you know, he was all about her. And, you know, he he wasn't being creepy about it. He's just like, okay, maybe she's having issues or whatever, you know, and he wasn't being a creeper about it. So yeah, even after the scene where she where he had to like run out of there and cut his feet on the broken glass, like he still didn't hold that against her at all. Yeah, like, he, he just said, like, Ellie, talk to me. me. What's going on? Yeah, yeah talk or witnessing to me. or witnessing her almost murder someone in the library. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He still sticks he around. So that's, that's in that's her. He was like, I'm here, ride or die. Like I, I'm interested in you. And I just yeah. want to hey, hey, 
No, you don't need to get you don't need to get a train home. I'm taking you home. Let's go. You know, and he wasn't like the white knight either. I'm glad that they didn't play him into that role. Like he tried, you know, but you know, he gets stabbed. Well, whatever, he, he's a timid fella. He saves him I mean, at the end. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's, he, a little timid. He's, he's a timid fella, and he's just you know, just trying to help out wherever he can. I'm glad that in a film where a lot of the males were represented as like scumbags and that in that world they were. That there was at least that one nice guy that sort of pulled through, you know. Yeah, yeah. Made but he didn't have to he didn't have to like rescue her. Yeah, yeah, no, even if he yeah. didn't end up with the girl, I would have been okay with that as long as they were just friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it still would have been cool with me. He wasn't like Terminator going, like, no, nah. you motherfucker, okay. I'm gonna shoot you. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, no, he's just like, yeah, right in the gut. <laughs> yeah, it does. She's like, now I gotta kill this motherfucker. <laughs> this mofo. Right. In Soho. In this mofo. Oh, <laughs> nice callback. Nice callback. Okay. All right, Jacqueline. So, we're gonna wrap this bad boy up, but you picked it. So, uh, Let's hear your rating. All right. Uh, I'm really glad that we had this conversation. I, uh, I had, Going into this, I had no idea how I was going to rate it. And so I have a, a firmer idea now. So in terms of pros, I'm going to say, just kind of echo some of the things you already said. I think the production design of this film is spectacular. I think it looks beautiful. It's very polished looking. It's very colorful and interesting to the eye the recreation of the 60s with the costumes and the hair and the cars and i mean just everything it really felt like a magical transformation but the world that ellie is living in is interesting too it's different but it's still interesting and just everything is like really visually engaging so i mean just 10 out of 10 stars for production design as you guys already mentioned, the soundtrack, I think, is spot on and really captures a very particular mood. Uh, but the way that the songs in the movie are used is so creative. Like, as you said, John, just hearing Petula Clark sing downtown. Well, I'm sorry, hearing Anya Taylor-Joy sing Petula Clark's downtown, the way it's used in that scene, it makes it eerie. And it's it's the opposite of an eerie song Mm -hmm. but i you feel a sense of foreboding when she's singing it because you feel like you can feel her vulnerability and sense that this guy jack is not good for her and he's got something you know underneath the surface and so you know it's it's very easy to clue into those feelings and have that that's that tension but all the songs like the way that they're used is just so perfect um, and unlike unlike you, I really grew up on 60s music. My mom, my mom's like era, she like came of age in the 60s. And so she listened to all that music when I was growing up. And from the time that I was so little that I didn't understand what like oldies were. And so that was all that was ever playing in the house. And so whenever I heard a song that I'd never heard before, I thought it was new. Mm. Like, like I remember the first time I heard that song, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. You know that song? <laughs> I had never heard it before. And I, I called my, this is so embarrassing, but I called my best friend and I was like, hey, I just heard this really great new song on the radio. Turn it. I was like, that, isn't that embarrassing? But that's what I thought. And so I was very steeped in 60s music and to the point that I really identified with Ellie because I always, that was the time period that I was always really fascinated by. All through high school, I pretty much only listened to 60s music. Like the Beatles are my favorite band. I was really into the fashion. I love Audrey Hepburn. So I really identified with that. Um, And so just bringing it back, the soundtrack was spectacular. Um, 
the acting, as we already said, was was fantastic. It gave us a lot to chew on. There are a lot of themes to consider, like mental illness and the predation upon women by men and what it takes to make a career as a woman in a male dominated um uh, what's the word i need industry Mm -hmm. so i would say that my the main thing that doesn't i'm not even going to call it like a criticism or a con but the thing that doesn't work for me yet and i feel like if i watch it enough times it might click for me but the thing that doesn't work for me is i i don't know what this film is trying to say about women. Um, And I I touched on this before, but as I said earlier, you think it's one kind of movie where this is like a manifesto about the dangers that women find themselves in when they're trying to like navigate a dangerous world. But things become very morally ambiguous when you find out that Sandy was really the killer. And there are moments when I think we're almost supposed to feel sorry for the men that she killed. And I think yeah. it's it's a tough thing to parse out morally because, yes, they these men that she killed were taking advantage of her, right? I don't even know if I would go so far as to call it rape like you guys did um, because I don't want to oh, automatically... Gosh, I, I don't want to automatically villainize men who visit sex workers. Mm-hmm. We know that Sandy is being forced to do this against her will, right? But we don't know if those men know that. Like, we don't see a lot of detail in their interactions. Or maybe we do, and I just didn't. Maybe I'll see it more if upon more watches watches of this movie. But to me, the real monster here is Jack, right? Because he's forcing her into this position that she doesn't want to be in. He's exploiting her and taking advantage of her for his own gain, right? Mm -hmm. These other men... Yes, I think they have some moral strikes against them, but I don't think they're as monstrous as Jack. And I don't know that they deserve to be murdered. Yeah. So that might be kind of a hot take, but it's so things become very unclear to me. Like, but they're like towards the end when they're all kind of rising out of the floor and they look really sad, like, help me, they look like sad. And it's like we're supposed to feel sorry for them. And then in those moments, like, is Sandy the monster? Is she a villain? I don't know. Like at the like up until you kind of find out the truth of things, she really seems like a vulnerable victim. And so I guess I just haven't really put it all together yet. It's it's not clear to me. I thought I knew what this movie was trying to say and then it became very unclear to me what the reality of that is. So, with all that said, I still think this is a fantastic film. I think it holds up to multiple viewings. I think that even non-horror fans such as John's dad could really, really (laughs) enjoy this film. It's, I don't even think of it as like a straightforward horror. Like, yeah, it's a horror film, but it's not like, yeah, it's not like a gory slasher. You know, it's not just like a lot of gross gore. Like there's a lot of strong story and production, slick production value, excellent performance. There's a lot to enjoy here, even if you're not a seasoned horror fan. So all things considered, I want to give this movie eight out of 10 groovy pads. <laughs> groovy groovy pads. Mm-hmm. Groovy pads. Pads, you know, like a, like a pad like that a, she's standing. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, like a pad that she's standing. I was waiting for Austin Powers to show up. 
And Groovy the- lofts. And his Jaguar. All right. Hydraberg, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. I'll go next. <clears throat> All right. So uh, my review for uh, The Last Night in Soho, I-, I think the cinematography in this film is fucking awesome. Like, it just, it's so well done. And the fact that you're telling me that, like, a lot of those scenes were done in camera is like, that's just impressive. The amount of time and effort and patience it would have took to pull that off is just, ah, it's mind boggling. It, it just, it, and it works because that scene stands out in the film to me. Like, that, that scene in the theaters, especially, was magical. Like, the mix of the music, the editing. You just met Sandy for the first time, and she's just like this elegant woman. And she's like, go, go hung. She's like, she's going to go and take charge. She's going to take what she wants out of the world. And you're just like, yeah, get it, girl. And then, you know, it's empowering Ellie, too. So it's like, it's a really cool scene. Um, I love the set pieces and the, and the, the locations as well. It seems like majority of this was filmed on location, at least in some of the, like the London areas. Um, I've never been to London, but it looks great. Like the color palette, like you said, like when they, Jack's driving, um, Sandy around and his like Jaguar, whatever that is. And like, you just see the bright lights of London in the sixties and like, they're going around that like circle and like, just looks fucking beautiful. I don't know how much of that might've been CG placement, but it just works. It works really well. The costume design is really like excellent. Even the costume design in the modern times just works. Like nothing stands out where it's like nothing draws your eye away from a scene or anything like that. It all just works. It all looks natural. Um, Especially the 60s. It just looks really good. I love the way the guys look in their suits. And there's like sort of zoot suits or whatever they you would call those, I guess. Those thin suits. Um, the soundtrack, like you said already, is just like masterful. It just works so well for this film. And like it's totally... It wasn't just added on. You could tell it might have been planned as they were writing the scenes, maybe. Like, it's that well done. Um. And like I like how the music plays subtly sometimes. It's not just loud all the time. It's like there's it's in the background at sometimes it's building up. Uh the performances are excellent, especially Eloise's, Sandy's, um, and Mrs. Collins or you know, Anya Teller Joy's. Um, especially like the three women in general just stand out the most to me in this film. I do like the men's performances as well. But those those three women in particular just really stand out to me. Like they're really good. And I get your critique about Eloise's performance, but I think the actress probably I think she played that well. You know what I mean? Like that was a choice. Maybe it doesn't agree with you as much, but I get it. Like I get why she played it that way or why it was directed to be, be that way. You know, she's meek and she's sort of mousy and we get to see her coming to her own a little bit. So I get it. Um, but yeah, you know. Someone who talks like that could be a little bit of an annoyance a little bit. You want her to stand up for herself more. And she does eventually. Uh, on the con side, it's really hard to pick this film apart at all as a, for, to critique it. Um, like I said before, I wish Eloise's grandmother was in it a little bit more like on the phones. I would have just liked to see her because I like that connection. But I get why you don't get that because it just adds to the the feeling of being alone. So it's probably a director's choice why they didn't put her on screen more. Um, and I, you know, I stand behind Edgar Wright on that part. Uh, Ellie, um, um, what's my one critique was like, like John mentioned earlier was the scene where Ellie sees, um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Sandy being killed 
And the whole time the film's basically showing us that like she sees things the way they were. And then this one time she sees things as skewed, but that might've been her own bias. Like that's she, she saw something she didn't want to see. So she's, she ended up replacing it with something that she thought was there, you know, cause she didn't want to think of Sandy as being murderous, you know, cause she was the victim and then she switches that. So maybe that's why it's done that way. That's really my only critique. Um, just for plot holes. Uh, overall, I think this film's like super fucking solid. So with that said, I'm going to give last night in Soho, I'm going to give it a nine out of 10 groovy pads. Groovy, baby. Oh, behave. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. Nine out of 10 from Hydra Bird. John, where are you going to win? It's a good film. This? Oh, my God. Yeah, this this movie was so dope. I, I, I want to watch it like three or four more times. And I do want to own it. Physically. Yes. Yeah, me too. <gasps> Hyderberg wants to own a movie. What? what? They're just going to come out with five different versions. That's the problem. Yeah, and and it's fine. I mean, I think Edgar Edgar Wright created like some a masterpiece here. Um, I like the Ellie character. I really like the Terrence Stamp character as a red oh, herring, yeah. and and you know that really impressed me because it was like no. His name's not Jack. His name's Leslie. And then it's all, all of a sudden she remembers back, you know, and it calls it back to the, the conversation she had with the cop. And it was just like, wow, that was so brilliant. And, and they tied up so many loose ends. The problem I had with it was, okay, so what is Ellie's gift? They never explained it. And maybe I'll pick it up on a second or third watch, but Acting was brilliant, like you guys had said. I mean, the soundtrack was so good. The cinematography, the, the plot, everything made sense. I was never not entertained with it. I thought the first, like, like, like 25% of the movie was a perfect character build. I mm. thought Eric's, uh, Ellie's character had this character arc that was so wonderful that it didn't feel like it was forced. It was just like, like she's going through all this stuff of, like, trauma She's trying to figure it out, you know, uh, even from Jocasta, the, the mean girl. She was great. Teacher was great. Everybody else, wonderful. Um, I can't say anything else, but I'm also going to go with a, you know what? I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go 9.5 out of Whoa. 10 <laughs> groovy pads. Whoa, that's one of your highest ratings ever. That is a that's why I pad. said it's, that's it's got like the, a disco ball on it and a lava lamp. That's a great yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's it's the fuck of the year, and I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. You're a waterbed. Huh? Oh, my dad! And by the way, my dad gave it a seven out of ten, but he's not a horror fan. But he loved the movie, by the way. So that's awesome. But but I'm gonna give my set. It's like I started with an eight, eight point five. Uh, today I was thinking about it nine, and then our discussion. It's like, how are you gonna criticize this movie? How are you going to say, oh, this movie shit? And again, I, I said it at the beginning. Who would ever if, say that? Yeah, if Anya Taylor-Joy does not get nominated for something, it's a crime. So I'm going to go 9.5 out of 10. Groovy pads, baby. Yeah, I really All like right. her character. And you feel totally when they when they flip it on you and you find out like how she's being taken advantage of, like it really hurts. To watch it does happen. it does i mean and you have sympathy for her so like to me yeah. she was not the antagonist of the movie no you don't you don't feel don't. bad you don't feel yeah. bad for these assholes that did this stuff to her 
uh, you want Jack to die and you're glad he does. And you yeah. want these guys to die. And you can you can have an antagonist that you relate to. It's OK to have that. But, like, but that I mean, that's ex- film better most times. So. But you call you call her an antihero hero, right? Sort of, yeah. I mean, like well, by the time you get to the I mean, end, she's the not reveal, the antagonist. You get she's to got, the end and you're like, you understand why she is the way she is. Why right. you know, Mrs. Collins does. And she's, in it, she's in a time period time period where it's very misogynistic. That's expected of you. Yeah. And, you know, with your 2021 brain, you're like, well, no, you don't have to do that. So, I mean, in, in, like, like if they're watching it in the 60s, oh, this girl is just totally the bad guy. But no. in my brain, she, she killed these guys. She's an anti-hero. I just, I think the role that she occupies kind of bounces around. Like yeah. there are times when she feels like a total victim. There are times when, and you're totally rooting for her because you want her to succeed. And then there are times when she does horrible things that I that like are not what did she morally do? She got clear. Drugged. Yeah, but she got drugged. She, she was forced into this. And like this guy, Jack was telling her, I'll give you fame and fortune, but you need to do this. Yeah. No, he's clearly a monster, but it's exactly. like, but there are moments where I think you're supposed to be afraid of Sandy. Like she's like, a she's, she's portrayed as a monster. And so it's like, it's just, um, it kind of bounces around for me. Yeah. But anyway, fair enough. I already went into it. So you, you, you got some trivia. I know we ruined some of it. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I have a little bit of trivia. So one thing, this isn't really trivia, but just something interesting that I read that um, I was kind of thinking about Edgar Wright in an interview said that part of the reason this movie came about is from his own personal obsession with the sixties. You know, he had kind of the same thing that I did. Like he had a parent who grew up in the sixties and was exposed to all this music and culture, the pop culture uh, that he grew up loving and has always been obsessed with. But he said that it's very much about the dangers of over romanticizing the past. And we kind of have these ideas of like, oh, we think of the 1950s, for example, as like, oh, it's like leave it to Beaver and Uh. this perfect little happy time where everything was really everybody, you know, everything was happy and things were really great. But in any time period, there's going to be a dark underbelly. Like it's not like human being there. It's not like there was ever a time without corruption and darkness and evil and violence and look at our government yeah and especially if you take a woman's viewpoint from a lot of those time frames you're going to see a lot of that right or various other underrepresented viewpoints like the the 1950s might have been great for like a middle or upper middle class white family but but there was segregation at that time things were not things were not Mm -hmm. uh so easy and idyllic for somebody who's not in that position and so any underrepresented voice is going to have that alternate alternate experience that isn't necessarily thought of in the collective, like, mm-hmm. you know, popular culture perception. That's so, right. so it's very much about the dangers of that. Like there's never a time where human beings weren't like corrupt. Okay. Yeah. So I, th- I thought that was an interesting thing that, um, you know, maybe it's, somebody like myself might fall into thinking like, Oh, this was such a great, I wish I could have lived during that time period when in reality, it's a lot better for me to be living today. Mm-hmm. So not perfect, but better in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so anyway, trivia, actual trivia. I do have a few little facts that I can make into a little game. So let me cross that one off about the craft. 
<laughs> Thanks, Hydroberg. All right. <laughs> that leaves me I with three. I picked that up because, you know, it's the craft. Like, oh, I, I know, yeah. I mean, that was that was pretty easy to pick. I mean, I noticed yeah. that right away. I was like, oh, the craft. Because I was a teenage sort of semi-goth girl in the 90s. So, of course, that was like my favorite movie. All right. Question number one. The title Last Night in Soho comes from a song by the band Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. That's a mouthful. Hide your bird. Okay, you already know what I'm going to ask? True. I don't know. Damn it. Oh, you, got, you got it. What yep. was it? It's from Death Proof. The question was going to be what Tarantino movie specifically mentions that band. And oh, okay. Hyderberg got it. It's death proof. Man, that was good. You got that before I even asked the question. Mm. Dang. Okay. So that one goes to HB. Question number two. Coming for you, John. There are several references in this movie. I'll tell you what the references are. Then the question is going to be what they're from. Uh, the drink Sadie orders is called a Vesper. The movie on the marquee. She f- James Bond. Okay. 007. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. Thunderball, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. So there are several references to the James, um, Bond. James Bond series in this movie. So the drink that she orders is called a Vesper, which is from, I think, Casino Royale. Yeah. The movie on the marquee is Thunderball. That's a James mm-hmm. Bond movie. And then um, I Jack forget the Carr, actresses. I think is a James Bond car also. Oh, for real? Okay. I, I don't know so. anything about cars, so I yeah. wouldn't have picked up on that. Um. But then Damn. also the actress who plays the proprietor of the pub where she gets a job, she was a Bond girl. Oh, really? Oh, she really? <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, she was a Bond girl. So that's awesome. Hydra- Hydraberg, you're on fire. Two mm-hmm. questions in a row before I even asked the was question. Was that nap? It was what? My nap. <laughs> you just got to process like it all. Napsuses are firing on all <laughs> cylinders. You just recharged your brain and now you have like superhuman uh, mental powers. <laughs> His okay, brain finally. is the incredible Hulk right now. Hyderberg win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question, even though Hyderberg's already won this with two out of three. All right. Anya Taylor Joy and Thomason McKenzie both appeared previously in M. Night Shyamalan films. Name the films that each appeared in. Wait, who's the other person? Anya Taylor Joy and Thomason McKenzie. Which actor is Thomas McKenzie? Ellie. That's Ellie. So oh, Ellie okay. and Sa- Ellie and Sandy, the actresses who played them, have both. Appeared. Are they two different movies? Oh, uh, the Visitor and. Um... Say your name first. Oh, Hyderberg. Hyderberg. Wait, what is Anya Taylor Joy in M Night Shyamalan? Oh, uh, Split and The Visitor. Uh, okay, so like half a point for Hyderberg. Right. So uh, Anya Taylor Joy was in Split. What was the other one in? John, you got any guesses? Uh, signs. No. Um, Anya <laughs> T- so Thomas and McKenzie was in Old, which I didn't oh, see. The, the newest one to see that. That's why I didn't guess it. And Anya Taylor Joy was also in Glass. I said that. Yeah, I said glass. I, you I, did? I, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, no, so I'm, just I'm, just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You get one point. I get one point. Half points. So <laughs> two and a half points for Hyderberg. You win the day. Yay. You're That's number it. one, dude. Hey, man, I didn't give you the finger when you got when you won. For those who are you have a harder name to call out. No, you said I was number one. I'm giving you right back to you. 
Yeah, mm. John is John is uh, displaying Hyderberg's number one status with a particular finger that you don't usually taste use. The salt on the podcast, but it's there. <laughs> Somebody is quite salty. <laughs> I am. So I believe next week it is Hyderberg's pick. I'm it curious. Is. Hold on it a is. second. Are we doing something brand new? Brand new? Yeah. Brand new? How? What are we gonna do next week, Hyderberg? Yeah. All right. You- <laughs> I I. I honestly, I was thinking next week's Thanksgiving, so I did a last minute switch. I thought let's fucking cover Thanksgiving. Gobble gobble, motherfuckers! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you can find it on Tubi, and I think uh, uh, Voodoo. Is there something new out that I should have picked, John? No, I was just asking, just be- oh. just because, like at the beginning of the podcast, I said I don't know if we're doing anything brand new. So uh, I mean, I called it the like, fuck of the year. So this might be the turkey fuck of the year i don't this know this wasn't on my list i have a list of Ew. things i was actually had something ready to go but then i thought like hey wait a minute like it's thanksgiving next week i should i'm taking one for the team i don't really necessarily like i'm not dying to see thanksgiving i've never seen it though, I, I, so. you've never seen it i've never seen it and it's only about an hour and seven minutes so wow so i actually am really excited to see this because i have never seen it and i, I need a, i need a thanksgiving horror movie in my repertoire because i have i think none. we need a special guest I, I'm going to try and get us a special guest for this one. Well, well, if right you then. if you pick the movie Blood Rage, I know a couple of guys that we can get. <laughs> oh, is that? Yeah, that would have been a good one, actually. A couple of enthusiasts about that movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I actually did things killing uh, in my previous life, and it's um, it's a movie. Yeah. So it's got boobs in it, probably. John doesn't like it. I'm just kidding. John doesn't like boobs. I don't know. Is this the, is this a thing that's been established? I'm the boob guy. Apparently, I yeah. Okay, well, I like boobs, but you know, not as much as Hyderberg does, I guess. Okay, uh, so yeah, next I'm sure it's a shitty film, but we'll watch it and we'll have right. to talk about. So next week we will be covering Thanks Killing. You can find it on Tubi and Vudu. So go watch that and meet us back here next week so that you can hear our review of it. In the meantime, if you want to send us an email with any suggestions questions comments anything that you'd like to hear us talk about you can email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at cut above horror if you want to follow us on instagram we're at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review we're also on facebook a cut above colon horror review and if you listen to us anywhere where you get your podcast, thank you so much, especially on iTunes. Make sure you rate and review us. Give us that five-star rating. If you don't give us the five-star rating, let us know what we can do better. We would truly appreciate it. All right, guys. Keep it creepy.